You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Father, it's so good to be able to come in uh, and to spend some time with my family worshiping you as, as uh, your people. I gathered to declare your glory. And, and, uh, and Father, I just thank you for, for all the stories that we bring uh, into this place today, all the lives that come together to, to form your body. And I thank you for every, every, every member that we have and, and every way that, that, uh, that I see the church serving one another and serving the community and, and uh selling of their possessions to meet needs, Father. It's always an incredible testimony to you about uh, what you're doing in this place. And to be able to, to see our kids uh, worship, Father, and dance is, is, always, um, is always something that, that uh, encourages me that uh, we're making a, a difference, you know, starting with our families and our kids knowing you and, and knowing what it means to respond to you with their lives. And So, Father, I just pray that everything we do in this room in this place, will be glorifying to you. We lift up our, our teachers now as they teach our children your word, uh, that you would open their minds and their hearts to know you. Um, and Father, I just pray for all of us as we sit in the room and we open up your scriptures as you speak to us. And, and we remember the incredible story of who you are uh, laid out in the narrative of scripture, God, that you would, you would open our hearts to know you even more, that you would renew a passion within us for our God and our creator. Uh, you would stir inside of us a desire to walk lives of obedience, having seen the incredible work that you have done through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so, Father, we come before you boldly asking these things in the name of the Son. Amen. Uh, good morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I'm glad you're here. I see some family members here, and so I'm uh, glad you guys came out to, to check out Red Sea and, uh, and to open up the, the Word and, and to learn together. We're in a series entitled The Road to Emmaus. And so we uh, decided this year would be an incredible opportunity for us to teach through uh, the meta-narrative of the Old Testament. So we wanted to look at the big picture of what God's doing in the Old Testament. Uh, and we've named it Road, Road uh, to Emmaus off of a, off of a, a passage of Scripture um, where Jesus goes to the disciples right after his resurrection and, uh, and two of his disciples on the way to Emmaus. And he interprets to them the Scriptures and how everything that happened up to now is pointing to him. So that's what we're doing on Sundays is we're reading through the scriptures and we're looking at how everything is pointing to Christ. Uh, and we started in the very beginning. Uh, and I want to continue our exercise, which we haven't done the last few weeks, of, uh, of recapping our story. Uh, and so if you've been with us before, if, uh, if someone is willing to come up and to write out uh, our story, I would appreciate it. A volunteer that can write legibly uh, and can spell, eh, it's an iffy, it's not a prerequisite. Any, any takers? Any writers? I see hand, fingers pointing. Thanks, Ann. So, uh, so what we do in this time of our, of our, of our message is we, we recap what do we remember that's happened so far in the story. Uh, and we can start from the beginning. And uh, stuff that we've talked about here on a Sunday morning is, is good. But also, uh, we've been doing a reading plan together as a church. We're reading through the scriptures together, and so maybe there's something in your time of reading that, uh, that you really jumped out to you that you said, I remember this, and this is really awesome. So uh, where, did our, where did our story start? In the beginning, which was creation. Good job. God, God created uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, 
placed them in a, in a beautiful paradise where they could live in, in perfect relationship with him as sinless beings made in his image to, the, to display his, his glory. Uh, they were put in charge over creation to, uh, to rule over it, to uh, take dominion, to multiply. Uh, but what happened? They broke the rules. They did. They rebelled against their creator. They tried to dethrone God in, uh, in choosing to eat of the tree, of choosing that they knew better than God did. Um, so they ate of the tree, and as a consequence, what happens? Yep, they're removed from the garden. They're removed from God's presence. They're removed from uh, a life of eternity, uh, living in the garden uh, with the tree of life. Uh, and man is now, a, man and women are now a broken reflection of God's image. Now, God still loves them and he values them. He still has a plan and a purpose for them. Uh, and so the rest of our story is, is leading somewhere. So, so the, the, at the moment in which uh, Adam and Eve sin, God begins a plan to redeem mankind, to defeat sin forever. And he talks about a snake and how it's going to have its head stomped on. It's going to bruise the heel of this, this uh, distant relative of Eve. One of Eve's ancestors, one of Eve's distant relatives, one of her kids in the way future is going to defeat death forever. And so this story that we now have is that being played out. That, this ongoing story is being played out. So after the garden, the thing that we talked about as a church, do you remember? I'm having to think back, it's like February. Hmm? The blood? The flood, yep, flood. Do you want me to move this forward a little bit? No, I can see it. Okay. Well, I can move. Um, yep, the, the flood was in there, and, and in between was, was Cain and Abel. Uh, but we really didn't talk a whole lot about, about Cain and Abel. Um, we know that, uh, that uh, Cain kills Abel, right? The, the first kids are murderers. That's great. Um, but, uh, but God still has a promise, and he gives Adam and Eve another child named Seth, and from Seth. He's eventually going to bring about Jesus Christ. But we know the world gets really bad really fast at the point in which uh, God looks at the earth and, and he says, man, I wish I would have never created humans. Every, every intention of a man's heart is evil in every way. But because God had made a promise to us, he didn't destroy humanity. Uh, and so he brought about this guy named Noah, right? So what, what does Noah do? Builds an ark, yeah. Yeah, he, he, God builds, tells him to build this ark. He's going to flood the earth, uh, and he saves his creation, and he also saves Noah and his family. Uh, what happens after, how are we doing? Oh, pictures, wow. <laughs> You're like one up in everybody so far. Good job, man. That's true. Stairs, so you can't hear me. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a flood, and then what happens when Noah uh, and, his, and his family get off the ark? What, is, what does God tell them? Same thing he told Adam and Eve. Yeah, be fruitful and multiply. My, my, my command to you hasn't changed. Fill the earth. Um, worship me in the way that you live your life as, as a steward over my creation, as, as, as my image bearer. And then what's the next story that happens after, after, after that? After Moses, I mean after Noah. Tower of Babel, yeah. And what's the point of that story, Zeb? Yeah, they think they're so awesome. Once again, man tries to make a name for himself in building this tower. God said, be fruitful, multiply, cover the earth, but they don't do it. They stay in one place to make a name for themselves. They are not obedient to God. Our, 
Are, are you going to draw a tower? A ziggurat. A ziggurat. Wow. <laughs> Way to get historical on us. Um, and so, uh, so God tells them to be fruitful and multiply, but they don't. They, they're not being obedient. And so God forced them to be obedient to him, right? He says, this is the best way. So what does he do to get them to go out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He confuses their languages so they can't talk to one another. They can't build a tower. And they disperse in obedience. This is God's grace. Once again, he's always gracious in everything that he does to, to lead us. Uh, what do we talk about next after, uh, after that? Uh, before we did something before Joseph. Um, Abraham, there we go. So then we, we jumped in the story of Abraham. And so God ha- had, had made this, this, this uh, promise or basically a, he had told the people, I want you to go forth and multiply to be my image bearers, to represent me to the world. Now God goes to a, a one man who is out of this line of Eve and, and goes to him and makes a promise to him. He says, you know, Abraham, I'm going to use you uh, to be the vessel in which the whole world will know who I am. Uh, I'm going to make a promise to you uh, that, that I will be your God and you will be my people and we can walk in relationship together. And, uh, and he does this incredible picture of, of, uh, of the, the covenants that kings made with one another and the promise with the sacrificing of animals and, and the passing in between of the animals. You guys remember when we talked through all of that and God puts Abraham to sleep and God passes the sacrifice. And God says, I'm the one that's going to hold up this promise. I'm making a promise to you, and I will not break it. If I do break this promise, then you're to do to me what I did to these animals. And so we see God fulfilling his promises to Abraham. And then we walk through real quickly the the sons of Abraham, uh, the lineage of uh, Isaac, Jacob. And then the next story we told was the child of Jacob. Who was it? We said it a minute ago. Joseph, yeah, we went into Joseph. Joseph is this amazing story of God um, using his people. You know, there's this incredible famine going on, and Joseph is this, this lowly shepherd boy that his brothers hate. You know, his brothers hate him because he's favorite of his father, because he's, he's obedient to his father. And so they sell him, put him in a pit. They sell him to Egypt. He goes through all of these trials, man. He's, the guy had a rough life, and all of his obedience to God, it just... It, it was hard for him, you know, to get thrown in the pit, and then Potiphar's wife, and then to get put in jail, and then for the baker to forget about him. I mean, for the cupbearer to forget about him while he's in prison. And so we walked through all those stories, and, and each of these stories that we've told as a church, we've talked about as we've gone through of, of God's grace and God's plan and how he's using these people because he's, he has something that he wants to do. He wants to display himself to the world through these individual people. And so up until now, it's always been about a person right? A specific family. And so who is the person after Joseph that, that God goes to? Moses, yeah. And what do we know, what do we know about Moses? What, what, was, uh, what do we talk about? How did God use Moses? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, he chose a, a Pharaoh was killing all of the, the, the young uh, children in Israel because they were multiplying. He was afraid they were going to take over. And so uh, he, told, he told the, the Egyptians, kill every child in Egypt that's born. These people are, or kill all the men, the boys that are born. Um, and, uh, and so how does God protect Moses? It's a beautiful story of, of, she, of, of uh, his, his mom, Miriam. No, his sister was Miriam. Remember his mom's name? Sister. Who's? They put him in the basket, the little ark, right? 
and they, and they float him down the river. And where does he wind up? Pharaoh's daughter. Like, where, what better place to protect Moses from Pharaoh than his own daughter raising him? Like talk about God's sovereignty and how he works. So we walk through that story of Moses being raised by Pharaoh. And then he kills an Egyptian. He flees out to the desert. Uh, he, he, meets, uh, uh, he meets his wife out there and, and his, his Jethro, his father-in-law. And then as he's a shepherd living his life, thinking things are good, uh, God comes to him and says, I have heard the cries of my people. Comes to him in a, in a flaming bush uh, that's, that's being, burning but not being consumed. And, uh, ooh, we're going to have a flaming bush. And uh, comes to him in a flaming bush and, and says, I have made this promise. I made this promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to, and to Joseph. And my people are, are, are now uh, in slavery and bondage. And I am, I'm sending you to... to to redeem them, to save them, to bring salvation to my people. And how does God do that? This is what we talked about in Easter. How did he save his people? Yeah, the Passover. So God does the plagues on Egypt, to, uh, and he hardens Pharaoh's heart. And that was really what we landed at last week as a church. We said God is, is sovereign in all things. God was sovereign over Pharaoh. God was sovereign in allowing Joseph to go to Egypt and to wind up and to, to be forgotten there after he died so that this people would be raised up, this, this multitude of people. And, and so now as we go forward in our story, uh, the people of Israel are going to play a significant role in God's redemptive plan. So God, God's redemptive plan for humanity is going to be played out in the narrative of the Israelites' history, Right? So before, God's promise was a, was, a, was a person. It was Adam, and it was Noah, and it was, it was, um, his, it, it was his son, the, the sons of Noah, Shem particularly. And, and then it went on to, to Jacob, to Abraham, and it's Jacob, and to, and, or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. But now we're going to see this shift in our story where God's promise isn't just to a family anymore. It's not just to a line. It's now to a nation. And that's a big shift. And so as we move forward in the Old Testament, we move from a person to a nation. So now it will not just be this one family. It will be the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews. They'll be the ones that God is now upholding his promise. Um, so, yeah, good job. Make sense? Everybody tracking where we're at in the story? Okay, cool. Well, we're going to pick up today in Genesis right after the Passover. Uh, in chapter 14, I'm on Exodus in chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, please open up to Exodus 14. And, uh, and if not, we're going to have some, some uh, scripture up here on the screen that you can look at. And if anyone ever needs a Bible, they're free out in the Connect booth. Feel free to grab one on the way out. Uh, so we know that, that God and his sovereignty um, hardens Pharaoh's heart because he wants to display himself, right? The scriptures is God on display for us to see. That's what the Bible is, for us to know him. And so last week at Easter, we really landed at the spot of which God does things for a reason. He allowed the, the Jews to wind up in captivity for a reason. Because their captivity, their bondage to slavery is meant to be a foreshadowing of something greater, which is our bondage to sin. And Moses being their salvation, their redeemer, is meant to be a picture of us for a greater redeemer that's going to come in Jesus Christ. And the Passover meal that we talked about, the Passover lamb is meant to be a picture of something greater. It's pointing forward to the Passover lamb, which was Jesus Christ when he, when he, died, on, when he died on the cross. 
And so we pick up in our story today where, uh, where the people have been delivered through the Passover. The Egyptians now have said, okay, you can go. The Jews have plundered Israel on their way out, and apparently they did it pretty boastfully, according to, to chapter 14, which we're going we're gonna to read here. They leave with the possessions of Israel of uh, Egypt, and I bet they're on a high horse. Can you imagine? Like for 430 years, the Israelites have been enslaved. They, they've been building a kingdom for Egypt. Generations of them have, have died off since they've been there. And, and even more recently, since, Noah's, since Moses has come on the scene, it's gotten harder for them. They've had to continue to build, but without having the right resources to do it. They, they need deliverance, and then God does it in this amazing way. Through, uh, through the Passover. And so the Egyptians finally say, Pharaoh's like, just, just leave, you know. Go out and worship your God. And so it says that 600,000 of the Israelites, men, leave. So we're assuming it's close to like 2 million people with women and children now leave out of Egypt with the possessions of Egypt on their way to the promised land. God's fulfilling his promises, right? Like it's a time of celebration, of, of jubilee. They're, they're just stoked. But once again, in the story, things aren't going to work out like they thought that they would. And so let's pick up here in, in chapter 14 and verse 1. It says, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Phil. Um, anybody want to guess at that word there? Pi. Pihamroth? Between Migdol and the sea, in front of the Baalzebon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. So let's get our map up here, and we're going to try to make a little sense of what he's saying here. Uh, so when they leave out of Egypt, it's really interesting because they don't, they don't go the way in which you would have gone. They don't take any of the major roads necessarily out of Egypt. They almost kind of like go wandering into, uh, into a little bit of, of wilderness, a place that... that you have no reason to go there because it's almost like a dead end. So, so what we have is when they, when they exit out of Egypt, they go through, through Goshen and, the, and they pass by the port of Suez. So follow the green, the green line here, the real Exodus route because somebody had got it wrong. And it says they pass by Sukkoth and they go down to the bottom here. And uh, Etham right here is where they wind up, wind up camping at. And it says that, that now they're, that this is where they've camped and where they've started. So if you'll notice in this picture, I tried to do this one because you can see a little bit of the geography of, of, uh, of the land. You see as they, as they exited, they wind up on this, on this really wide plain. So where the green line is, just on the right where it says the real Exodus route, that's a mountain range that runs through there. And then on the left, you have, you have uh, the sea here and... Right in between the two is like this, this wide plain. It's almost like if you wanted to move two million people, how would you do it? Like what kind of road's going to hold two million people moving down it? And then they wind up on this, on this plain. And, and just imagine you're, you're liberated from Egypt, from years of oppression and tyranny. You have the possessions of Egypt. Your God has delivered you. He has not forsaken you. And he leads them out and they're walking along the sea on this wide, flat plain. And they're all together. And the mountains are on the left and the, ocean, the sea's on the right. I bet it was just this incredibly beautiful picture of God's sovereignty of this is going to be easy. Like, look what God did. Now we just get to follow him, and we're going to go to the promised land. And it's just going to be great. The journey is going to be so easy. We won't have any problems. That's how it starts out. 
But then what happens is they get down to the bottom here, and the, and the land comes to a point. And, and there's, a, there's a sea on both sides. So they have two seas on their side, and they have a mountain range on the other side, and they're camped at this spot. And they had to start wondering, where are we going? You know, like, like where we got delivered out of Egypt, but where's, where's this thing leading us? Where's, where's God? Because God's now in the form of a cloud, you know, a cloud by day and fire by night. And they're just following the cloud. Where, where it goes, that's where they go. And so they come to this point, and it says, uh, it says they, uh, they, they camped out by the sea. Um, and, uh, and it said, for, and this is in verse 3, For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. So God leads them to a dead end. Just for the fact that he knows that the, the, Egypt's still watching them to see where they go. When they leave Egypt and they get on that mountain range, the Egyptians are like, where are they going? That's a dead end. They're, God, you know, they're following their God. To, they're just wandering. Like they have nowhere where they're even going. And, and God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So God's not done with Egypt yet, right? He used them to display his sovereignty. He, he, he crumpled the greatest empire that existed as a display of his glory and his power. If they thought Pharaoh was great, Yahweh is here now. And so he, he, he pretty much just desolates this, this Egyptian empire through the plagues and, and through the killing of their firstborn and the plundering of their possessions. And now they've, they've taken it all out. And God says, I'm not done with the Egyptians yet. I still want to, I still want to use them uh, to show my glory. And, and so in verse 5, when the king of the Egyptians was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done? that we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. So this is like the, the army of Egypt. This is their, their, uh, their 300 Spartans. You know, they've got the cream of the crop. They're going to go out and they're going to they're gonna bring Israel back. And... Um, and the Lord, in verse 8, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped, by the, uh, and camped at the sea by that place I can't pronounce, in front of the place I can't pronounce. Um, and so imagine this. So now Israel's gone out celebrating. They've come to a dead end. Where the sea's there, Pharaoh knows it, and now here comes Pharaoh and his army, and now he's the, he's the exit route. They're going to have to get through Pharaoh and his chariots with his, with his Spartan men to be able to, to get back out of the situation that God has led them in. Why would God deliver them out of slavery and a bondage to lead them to a dead end? That's got to be what's going on in their mind. And this is what we see in the narrative. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it's because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to, to die in the wilderness. Like drama queens. What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Let me go back into slavery, into bondage. It's better than having to die out here in the wilderness. 
Don't, don't we do that? Like, doesn't God come in and save us? Doesn't he, doesn't he save us from a life of sin and of bondage? And then we start following God on this journey. And do you ever get to this place in the, in the journey where you're like, God, where are you? Why would you lead me here? Why would you forsake me in this place? This isn't like I thought things would work out, like I'm following you and you liberated me and we're walking. We're walking on this journey and then you come to this roadblock and all of a sudden we just like throw up the flags like, oh, I'm giving up. Like, where is God? He's not here for me. That's where, that's where the Egyptians are. I mean, that's where the Israelites are. And Moses said to the people, I love this, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work out for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I love a, a leader that will call the people to trust in God in, in, a, in the time in which they are ready to give up all hope. Because he, he had seen God at work. And Moses didn't know what God was going to do, but he knew that God was going to do something. He knew that, that God had come to him and said, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. I'm going to take you to the promised land. And so Moses tells his people, fear not. God is here and he's going to do something. And for us today as, as his people, we still have to claim that promise to fear not. God is going to do something. Yahweh is going to fight for us. Yahweh is here. When you feel like giving up and, and, and just maybe running away or maybe running back to an old life or, or running and trying to take con- the, the control of life yourself, remember that God is sovereign. When, when, when you see depravity all around you, I mean, even this morning, you know, we've got a, a drug addict out in a van, you know, overdosing. That's the reality of the place in which God has called us to live. That's a, that's a daily part of being the people of Red Sea and, and of St. John's and, and being in this community. When I see that, like a part of me wants to say, can I just move? Like, can I just go someplace else? But no, because that would be me taking over if that's not what God wants. And we're constantly going to come to these places in life where we're going to hit a wall and we're going to have to say, okay, God, are you sovereign? When, when marriage isn't like you thought it would be, and, and their sin, is God sovereign? You know, as your kids are growing up and, and they're rebelling and things aren't working out like you thought they would, is God sovereign? Um, somebody was telling me yesterday at the yard sale that, that Rick Warren's son committed suicide. Did you guys hear about that? Uh, he's, Rick Warren has an older son that for over a decade has been diagnosed with, uh, with uh, depression. And as a family, they, they had a game night on Friday night. They spent time with a family it was great, and that night his son killed himself. Can you imagine? The, what, what do you do in that moment when, when things aren't like you, you thought they would be? You know. Uh, later on, I've asked a, a few people here at Red Sea to actually share some of their stories about what they've seen God do it here, here at Red Sea. And, and the stories aren't like always really cheerful. Like they're, sometimes they're really hard stories. But the one thing that we all have in common is we all believe that God is, is sufficient and that he's sovereign and that we're pressing on as a church to whatever God calls us to. 
Because we believe that we are his chosen people. Like, if you flip forward in your Bible to, to, to chapter 19, 4 through 6, I love this phrase, and Royce is going to talk about this next week. In 19, 4 through 6, God talking to the people, he said, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments. You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That promise is still true for us today, and it's even greater because of the access that we have to God through Jesus Christ. We are his people. He is leading us. As a church, he is leading us. I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic that we're talking about Red Sea, and our church is named the Red Sea, Right? We are the people of God who have been delivered. And, and in our narrative, he parted the Red Sea. But today we believe that he's parting our hearts. That he's opening up our hearts to know him. That's where our name comes from. And that's on our website. And you can read all about it and, and read about our history. But I want us to remember God's sovereignty at all times, at all places, in your life and in mine, and the life of this church. He is in control. So all we have to do is to look, to fear not, Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. That brings me so much comfort and security, knowing that God is the one who is fighting for me. And so the story continues in 15. The Lord said to Moses, I love this, this is God here. So the people are crying out, Ah, we're going to die. There's graves in Egypt. Can we go back into slavery? And God says, Why do you cry out to me? Because I don't, I don't have any barriers. You know, I know you think you're trapped here. You've got an ocean and an ocean and a mountain and Pharaoh. And to the Israelites, that's the only choices, is what they see right before us. And God says, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. I'm leading you somewhere. We're going somewhere, church. Like God is the head, right? Jesus Christ, the head of the body. He's taking the body somewhere. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they shall go after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Once again, God is allowing things to happen in this way. Because he wants to reveal himself. He wants to display his glory. He did it through them. And he's continuing to did it through them. He did it through Jesus Christ. And he's doing it through you guys at his church today. We just have to remember that all everything that happens, guys, is a part of God's sovereign plan for our lives. In verse 19, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel, he moved and he went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. I love that picture. So they're camped out by the sea. They've been following this cloud by day and this fire by night. God and revealing himself in his presence. Now all of a sudden the cloud it moves around behind them. And it comes right in between them and Pharaoh's armies, right? I love that. I love that God's not going to take us somewhere that he's not been. He's leading us. And as the challenges come up, he's there. It's not like God says, okay, bye, and just disappears. 
He's there with us. He's walking with us. He's walking with us even through our rebellion and our sin. He is still there displaying himself so that we will know him. And so he moves around behind them. So now God is fighting for them. He's the one keeping Pharaoh and his army from attacking. In 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry ground. And the waters were divided. He says that three times in this passage. Dry ground. Dry ground. This isn't some random act of nature. God is is not just going to part the sea. You know, and the place in which they part, it's deep. It's not like, you know, three feet. You know, it's like 1,500 meters or something like that. So it says that as God parts the sea, that, that walls raise up, like city walls of water on the sides. The waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So imagine that. Imagine the the panic of the people. They're crying out to God, and God says, you know, just move forward. I have no limitations. There's nothing that's holding me back. And so Moses, you know, reaches out the staff, and the waters part, and you have this picture of the people saying, okay, now I have to choose between Climbing a mountain, fighting Pharaoh, or walking into this giant wall of water. Like, you had to imagine that took an act of obedience, right? Of, okay, God, I, I, I'm not really sure, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step forward in obedience. And so they take that first step, and you imagine a little poof of dust as they hit the ground. And they're like, wow, it's, it's, hard, it's firm. On dry ground, the next step, poof. And Moses, as they lead, and and you have the walls of the water going up, there's always a step of obedience that God calls his people to. He always says, I'm going to provide for you. I will make a way out for you. You have to choose whether or not you're going to step forward in obedience. Our response to God's story, to the work of God, is a step of obedience. To move forward and say, okay, God, holy cow, as they're walking into the water, that's what, the, that's what the journey with God is like sometimes. It's a daily act of, of faith and repentance. And, and imagine kind of the, the picture of the gospel here being as they go down into the water, as they, as they walk obediently, it's them almost dying to a life of rebellion and sin to God, a life of disobedience to God. And it's a, it's a picture, right, of obedience through the water, out to a new life on the other side to go to the promised land. For us, we have a similar picture today. It's called baptism, right? Of, okay, God, I believe that you are at work here, and it's a symbolic act of, okay, going down into the water and of coming back out of, of, okay, the old life of sin and rebellion, of not trusting you, God, is over. Let's wash that all away. And so it's almost like the Israelites are washed as they walk in obedience through the Red Sea onto the other side to, to head to the promised land. That's our response to God's word and who he is, is a life of obedience, following him and his commands and his ways because we are his special people that he is using to display his glory. And so as they walk through this wall, the Egyptians pursue and they, they go in. So it says the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen 
And in the morning, watch the Lord in the and in and in the morning, watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud. Look down on the Egyptian forces, and he threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels, so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, "Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." I'm glad that finally sunk in for them. You know, like it, there was the plagues in Israel, and then there was the Passover, the killing of their sons. Then there was this giant fire and cloud that they've been fighting against. Now the God, Yahweh, has parted the sea, and they've decided it'd be a good idea to pursue Israel through the sea. And at the moment in which the wheels of their chariots start falling off, they realize, oh crap, God is on their side. Yeah, like he's doing this for them. And so they try to flee, and in the story, what does God do? He closes the water around them. God ultimately gets glory over Pharaoh. And it says that there's, there's bodies on the seashore. Once again, this is an amazing picture of God redeeming his people. But once again, it's pointing to a greater redemption. And of Jesus Christ dying to be the Passover lamb, to pay the, the, the penalty for the bondage of sin and slavery that we all had to an old life of rebellion against God. And then Jesus being resurrected from the grave, right? Of of finally dominion over sin, death, hell, Satan has been defeated through Jesus Christ. That's what the Red Sea is meant to picture. And for us today, we are still the people. We are the people, the Red Sea, whose God has come in and he's parted our hearts. And he's come in and he's made himself new. But we haven't just been forgiven of sin. We've been made into something new. As we step forward in obedience and following God, we are now this display of God's glory and his sovereignty and all that he's done through us now as a people. That's how God is working. So what we need to do in those times when we get a, come to a dead end in life and we don't know if God's in control, we trust and we step forward in obedience. So I'm going to ask Russell to come up here and he's going to share a story of, a, of deliverance, of how God delivered him and his family. And, I, and I've asked a few people that have been at Red Sea for a long time. Uh, and not to, to discount some of you guys that haven't been here for, for a while, but sometimes when we can see the larger picture of what God is doing, then we, we, we have hope once again, but it, it takes a while, right? The way that God works always isn't just like that. Sometimes it, it takes a while. So Russell's going to share a little bit of, uh, of the, the story of what he's seen God do. Oh, boy, where do I start? Um, the thing about it is I get kind of excited to share the story because it's only God who did it. Um, let's see. So my mom, she started uh, to come to Red Sea. And uh, before she was trying all other types of religion, Scientology and whatever, and New Age stuff. And then she came here, and this was back uh, right, right at the pub when, Saint, or when uh, Red Sea met at the uh, McMinnum's pub. And um, she kept telling me, hey, son, the... There's a church there that's uh, meeting in a pub. And I'm like, well, they're freaking whack then, you know. <laughs> I'm not meeting no church that meets in a pub. And then uh, she goes, no, they're cool, man. They're like rock and roll. And this, it's really cool. You should come. And then I'm like, no, I, just, I don't know. I don't know. And um, so she kept at me 
for a while. But meanwhile, she kept telling my sisters uh, to come too. And so uh, my younger sisters, Ricky and Sasha, started coming to, uh, to Red Sea. And uh, within a, a month or two months, they, they accepted Christ into their life. <laughs> and then uh, my mom's still pushing at me, hey, come on, come on. And I'm like, I don't want nothing to do with God right now. And then uh, after a while, she goes, hey, your sisters are getting baptized. Do you want to go see it? And then my sisters asked, hey, Russell, I'm getting baptized. Do you want to come see me get baptized? And I started thinking. I said, well, my sisters are getting baptized. There's something special there. There has to be something going on in the lives of them to, to be able to, um, to say yes to God. And so I went to this house. It was, uh, it was a house by Columbia Park. It was in a, in a hot tub. And... Uh, <laughs> So my sisters get baptized, but it was amazing just to see my sisters come out of that water. Their expression on their face was just amazing. I don't know if you guys have ever witnessed that. Sometimes when people come out of the water after getting baptized, it's just like, wow. There was just something there that hit me right here. And um, so the next week, I've got my butt in a seat at the church. And so I... Uh, start going. I start getting involved, and uh, I myself get saved, and I get uh, dunked at Kelly Point Park, and, um, but I think what's cool about the stories, too, is that, um, um, so my mother basically leads her family to Christ with God's help, but also, I get to now lead my two kids to Christ, and I get to, uh, with the help of my lovely wife, um, lead uh, uh, others around me in my work, my neighborhood, and um, uh, to Christ, or just to be Christ-like in front of them. So that's what I got to say. Uh, Christy actually rewrote Psalm 105 uh, in the kind of the, the story of Red Sea because Psalm 105 is about God delivering his people. And so she rewrote it for us, and so I want to share it. Uh, so Psalm 105, praise God, thank him, all you people of Red Sea, for sustaining you. Tell everyone you meet about what he has done. Lives are being changed. Souls are being saved because of his faithfulness. His abounding love and mercy are drawing the hearts of the people of Red Sea nearer to him each day. So praise him in word and deed, in song and dance and poem and work and play. Give to him the glory and honor he deserves and teach your children to do the same. Think of the beauty all around you and praise him for it. Think of how much you have and overabundance by most of the world's standards and thank God for his care. Think of all the miracles this one small church has experienced in our short 10 years and praise God that we are still here. Red Sea started out as a handful of people, practical strangers in the living room of a family who had been given a vision from God. That handful grew, and soon we began meeting in a pub, drawing a crowd who would never consider stepping foot into, into a church. But God knew what he was doing, and he met us where we were. Then he went with us to a building on Smith Street, still growing in numbers, still providing all we needed until we outgrew that space as well. And then the promised land, a large building available to rent with so much potential. She's referring to this one. Our hearts and heads were full thinking of ways this building could serve the community. It was the perfect answer to prayer. We packed up and we moved again. 
Our people were thriving. We knew and served our neighbors through a coffee shop. And everyone knew of God and the work he was doing through Red Sea. But Red Sea is made up of people and people are sin and are filled with pride and can be faithless. But even when people sin, God is good. God is faithful. He continued to provide, continued to draw people to himself and his church. New servants filled the gaps left by those who threw in the tile. But then our promised land began to show signs of sin and disaster. Is God with us, we asked? Why would he take away this good gift, having to move out of this building? Obedience, we packed up and we moved again, this time into a land of darkness. But God was with us, even in that dark place. Lives were still changed, hearts still turning to God in repentance and obedience. New servants continued to pitch in their efforts, calling the people of St. John's for repentance and faith in Christ. And then, miracle of miracles, even when people sin, God is good, God is faithful. We were brought back into the promised land, she's referring to coming back into the building, uh, in a more healthier way than ever before. God worked out details in ways unimaginable and redeemed a building that humans used to hurt others into a building he could use to heal people. God poured out his blessing on us and lives were changed, hearts were turned back to God. Our numbers grew and God gave us lots of babies. You guys remember that? That one year, it was a crazy number of babies. He gave us a chance to serve and, and meet hundreds of other families with babies in swap and play. He filled our garden with food to share with our hungry neighbors, gave us a warm building to fill with friends and neighbors in the hub. And all the time, he continued to change our lives, drawing our people closer to him. We have lacked for nothing. Isn't that true? So praise him, you people of Red Sea. Praise the one who brought you here and sustains you. Don't take this history for granted. We are here because of God's power, and we must bear witness to the power to all the people of St. John's. This building isn't just for us to enjoy. It's been given to us to share and to use to advance the kingdom. God didn't give us this building just so we could rest in a little stability. He hasn't brought, us so many, he hasn't brought so many of our neighbors into this space just so we can show them a little human kindness. That's no skin off our backs. But so we can share the kindness of God with them, the story of the gospel and Christ's death and resurrection for our sin. So praise him, Red Sea. Praise him like you mean it. He gave us this blessing so we could follow his instructions to the letter. Praise him because even when people sin, God is good and God is faithful. Amen? It was such a cool story of, of, just, of the Red Sea and just the journey of how we've had to move around has been a journey of following God and saying, okay, God, we don't always understand, but we believe you're doing something. And, and then even since she wrote this letter, we have basically purchased this building all over again through being able to refinance it. And, and God is, is blessing us. There's never been a doubt along the journey that God is not in control. It's been hard. Said, We've lost a lot of friends along the way, you know? A lot of people God called here and then he calls to other things. And, and that's the reality of the place in which God has us. And, and attendance has grown and attendance has shrank. But I don't, I don't use that as a, as a model of whether or not God's in control of our church. Our job is to continue on the mission that he has set us in, to share the good news of Jesus wherever he calls us, whether it's here in St. John's or the neighborhood that you live in. And, and God has worked things out here at Red Sea because he wanted to display his glory through these people. And in the story, in the scriptures here, God worked out things in a certain way because he wanted to display his glory. He wanted to build trust. That's what happens after the people pass through the Red Sea. Look what, look what happens in 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egyptians. 
And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. That's why God allows things to happen in the way that he does. He wants it to build our trust in him. He wants it to build our fear in him. That he is in control. And so now we have an opportunity to respond to God and and worship and realizing all that he's done. In chapter 15 of Exodus, that's what Moses does is is he he sings a song to God in in display of all that God's done. It it says in, in verse 11 of chapter 15, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed up. And it goes on and on. That's our response to God, is to say, look at all of you done, Father. You are truly sovereign and in control. So let's do that right now as his people. So I'm going to invite our, our worship team to come back up. And we're going to spend some time worshiping God in song. But then we get to this place, worshiping God in the lives that we live, in front of our coworkers and in front of our neighbors, telling them of the hope that we have of Jesus Christ that he is sufficient, and that he is working. The exodus was the the end of captivity, but it was only the beginning of freedom. God has so much more work to do in order to show his people what it means to truly live as his people. That's what we're going to start doing next week, is, is looking at the law that God gives the people so that they can display his glory. And today... We have been redeemed, but redemption is only the beginning of the journey in walking in freedom with God and in living life the way that he intended us to live. So let's worship our creator. Let's sing to our God. Find reconciliation and broken relationships. Let's come to the table and remember the, the body and the blood that was shed so that we can have this relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us, God. You, uh, your mercies are never failing. Your grace is unending. You have unmerited favor on your people. And when we see all that you have done, Father, we respond in a life of faith and repentance and of walking in obedience to you because we believe that you are sovereign. And God, I truly believe that following you is the best thing that I can do. God, it's the best way to live in this life. And out of all of my sin against you, out of all the times I run back to to Egypt and I try to go back into bondage of sin, you never allow me to, God. You always bring me back into the fold. Every time I wander away, God, as as a lost sheep, you come and get me and you bring me back and I find reconciliation. And so today, Father, as your people, we approach your tables remembering that we have been forgiven that we are the redeemed people of God. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, meant to declare the glories of our God to a world that is broken and that needs you. May we do that, Father. Hear our, our words. We know that because of Jesus Christ, we've been washed clean. And when we sing out to you, you hear our praises, God. And you see us as holy and blameless. Thank you for that. Because, God, I am not holy and blameless. But I thank you that you see us that way. May we remember you in this time in song through the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. 
If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.